Hey, thanks for listening, Flumadiddlers. Before we get started with this episode, just wanted to share a little something with you. This episode tonight contains a couple of stories about two really awesome bank heists, but they also contain some adult themes. So just wanted to give you a little heads up. Might want to keep the younger listeners away for this one. Thanks so much. Grace and peace. Are we starting now? I'm John. And I'm Keith. And this is Flumadiddle. Your somewhat reliable source of information for most things, John. And uh, we are here today at the Flumadiddle Studios in Gadsden, Alabama. And so glad to have you guys with us. If you are new to Flumadiddle, we would like to welcome you to the Flumadiddle family. Indeed, man. Welcome. You're adopted into the fold. Yeah. And today we got a good one for you. We're going to talk about a couple of heists. Okay. Heists, as in robberies. Yeah. Uh, we both picked one, and we're going to talk about each one of them. Um, but first, let's talk about Widow's Link. John, tell them about Widow's Link. Well, we know this lady named Marlene who lost her husband a few years ago, and part of her grieving process was coming up with this ministry to widows. And so she does that. She connects widows. They have opportunity to get together in grief groups and make friendships and do social activities together. And the big thing at the end of the year is, or say at some point in the year, not necessarily the end of the year, yeah. their big thing is a cruise where they all take a cruise together. So we've started our GoFundMe, and we are taking up money for Widow's Link so that we can provide scholarships for widows to go on cruises together. Yeah, the ones that can't afford it. Exactly. <clears throat> All right, so um, before we dive into it, just for you new listeners out there, the word flummadiddle means utter nonsense. And so this podcast is about that. You know, sometimes we just talk about utter nonsense. Sometimes we try to bust through the utter nonsense. And sometimes we are utterly nonsensical ourselves. That is right, because we are flummadiddlers. Yes, we are. All right, so anyway, let's dive into it. John, who's going first today, bud? Let's let you hit it off. Okay. All right, here we go. So, so here's heist number one. Heist key. number one. This is a weird thing. All right, and that's I picked this one for this reason, John, because in my opinion, this is how heists go. They just don't work out, man. One thing I've learned in life, John, is that things never go as planned. That's part of the ever. deal, isn't it, Keith? Like ever, you know. Part I of mean, the deal. things are either going to be better than you think they're going to be, or worse. But they never go exactly totally as planned. Absolutely. Yeah. And so this is a good example of that. So my story starts with this uh, psychopathic lady, all right? As they do at times. Yeah, and her name is Marjorie Dill Armstrong. All right, so Marjorie, man, she, she was this nutso lady. I mean, people said that, like, growing up, that she was real narcissistic. She had, like, been, uh, all these things. Just a real nutso, right? Okay. Okay, so, <laughs> no, but really, though, she actually was a kind of an attractive lady growing up and, like, could get men to do what she wanted to do. But she was also real narcissistic. She talked a lot, you know, and, uh, but had kind of some psychopathic tendencies. And uh, so, anyway, as she grew up, the first thing that happened with Marjorie in 1984, she was actually charged for murder after she oh. shot her boyfriend, Robert Thomas, six times, okay? But... Could have been seven. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, it could, always, could have been worse. Probably held six in the revolver, if I had to guess. Right, there you go. Anyway, That's what I'm guessing. So she was uh, actually acquitted for that because she pled the self-defense plea. She said it was under self-defense because the guy beat her all the time. And so she actually was acquitted for the crime. Okay, I can okay. see that. Four years later... A husband died. Oh, so you got a boyfriend that she shot, got acquitted. Four years later, a husband dies, right? And um, he actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage. And it was always suspicious of what happened, but it just never was forwarded to the coroner's office. And uh, so it was just rolled an accident. 
Oh my goodness. Accidental head sounds injury, shady. right? That does sound shady. So anyway, in 2003, she turned her bipolar paranoid sights onto her father. <laughs> her father, because uh, he kind of knew who she was, he was trying to kind of cut her out of the wheel, right? Uh-oh. He, uh, he started giving a lot of his uh, her future inheritance away, and she was mad about mm. this, okay? So she gets mad about this, and she plots a plan. Oh, goodness. Okay, so all right, let's move on to some other players into the heist before we go into what it is, right. okay? Another player is Brian Wells. He is a, a pizza delivery man. <clears throat> all right. And he also has a few little troubled things going on that's going to pull him into this thing, okay? Perhaps but says people who generally do heists. Right. But we'll get into that just a little bit more later, do, okay? Do Another guy is Kenny Burns. He was an ex-TV repairman. Kenny Burns, turned. he's the guy who does the uh, documentaries like Vietnam and World War II and stuff, the famous documentarian. <clears throat> is he really? Well, he's got a lot of jobs because he's also a crack dealer. So. Okay. All right. Well, that could have been before he got into the documentary film. Probably so. All right. You know. All right. Maybe different Ken Burns. That was after he was re- rehabilitated <laughs> in prison. Right? So there you go. Anyway, um, then you have a guy named Bill Rothstein, which is, uh, or maybe Rothstein. Uh, probably Rothstein. We'll go with it. Anyway, he used to date old Marjorie. And, um, and made it out alive. Yeah, and so anyway, he also helped her and got involved in this heist. So let me tell you what happened first. Here's what happened, and then we'll go into how they actually planned this thing out and what went wrong, okay? All right. So, Mr. Brian Wells, remember the pizza delivery guy? I do. Mr. Brian Wells. I remember Brian Wells. Brian, he gets a call right before he's about to go home from delivering pizzas. He gets a call to go out and do one more delivery. Okay. Okay. It wasn't really on his way home or anything, but he just said, you know, I'll do this one more and then I'll be done. Okay. I've done that. Next time he's seen, you've delivered pizzas before? Yeah, when I was in Auburn. I did not know you delivered pizzas. A bunch of my buddies. Buddy of mine uh, managed a really delicious uh, uh, place down there called Tiger Pies back in the 80s and 90s. That's a good job, though, to really just get it. You know, you want some work, they're usually looking for some delivery, man. Absolutely. So anyway. So he takes that last delivery of the evening, just, hey, maybe I'll make me a decent tip. Yeah, right. And so, did you say tip? Tip. Okay, gotcha. All right, so he takes it, and he goes, and the next time he is seen, uh-huh. it's walking into, is it a P&G bank? It's P&G, right? P&G, yeah, I think. P&G is bank. It P? P? Yeah. Yeah, P&G, P&G, P&G bank. All right. And he, <clears throat> he kind of looks funny. He's got, I think he has the pizzas, but anyway, he walks into this bank. Maybe you don't have the pizzas. I'm not sure. But anyway, he walks in this bank, and he's got like this big, huge square thing bulging out from underneath his shirt. I think I might know where we're going with this one, Keith. And he also Keep has this weird-looking cane. Cane, okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, it kind of looked to me like when I looked at the pictures and stuff, it looks like he had a shirt on and then this thing and then what another shirt. What year was this? About 2003 or four? 2003, yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway... He goes in there and he tells the teller, he writes her a note, says, Hey, I have a bomb strapped to me and you need to give me $250,000 out of the vault. The teller says, uh, I can't do that. I can give you like $8,702 like right now, <laughs> but we that's just not how the vault works. And So he takes it and he gives her 15 minutes. She's like, well, I can't get that in 15 minutes, but I can give you this 8702 right now. He takes it and walks out. Well, that's right. kind of weird. Yeah, and then not too long later, he is found at his car, 
But like 15 minutes later, it's like he didn't even try to go anywhere. Okay? The two state troopers find him, and he tells them, he says, look, guys, I'm being forced to do this. There's a bomb strapped to me. Sure enough, there was a collar bomb. It's like this iron collar. Like around his neck. Around his, his neck, torso. and it kind of come down to this iron box that's in front of his torso. Oh, my god. So it's gosh. like the box is hanging from the collar. So right. this thing is locked on his neck. He can't get it off. The box had two pipe bombs in it, a bunch of little extra decoy wires, right? This is bad That's news. weird, man. So he tells the cops, you got to help me. He said, this thing's going to blow. I'm not lying. Sure enough, they found notes in his car that had instructions on what to do. Go in there, get $250,000, and then there's like this scavenger hunt that he was supposed to go through to get the keys to get this thing unlocked. And apparently by the time the cops found him, he had actually found one clue. And then, like, the cops, they followed that trail, and they found, like, a couple more clues, but then it was a dead end. Like, the, the next clue was, like, out in the desert, a jar, and there was a jar there, but the paper was gone. So somebody had removed it, or maybe it never was there, and it was all just a, a ploy to get the cops off the trail. But anyway, all That's this stuff dude. makes him seem pretty innocent, right? Right. And um, the thing is, is his employee, employer said he was a good employee, worked hard, you know, why would he take 8,702 so quickly and easily if he was in on it? Right. Um, you know, all these different things. Why would he just stay stick around if he was in on it? Right. It makes him seem really innocent, but he is actually in on it. So here's what happened. Oh, Marjorie Dill Armstrong. She, to get back at her father for spending all that money, she came up with this whole thing. Marjorie. <clears throat> yeah. She that said dirty what she guy. wanted to do is she wanted to hire a guy to kill her father. She didn't have the money for it. So they they came up with this heist, this scheme, to get the $250,000 so she could pay the crack dealer, Kenny Burns, <laughs> to kill her dad. Okay? I th- now, hey, Kenny no, Burns Maybe is it's just dealer. me, but could I suggest something? Yeah, go ahead. I believe down here somewhere in Alabama we could find a crack dealer that would do that for a lot cheaper than two hundred fifty grand. Probably so. And well, I, but, I meant to start this with saying that you're not going to know if it's a heist or a Jerry Springer episode because it's kind of like that. <laughs> but here's the thing, man. So we said that Brian Wells was innocent, but he actually was involved. He had a girlfriend who was a crackhead prostitute. Okay. Well, there as you do. And so he had gotten into quite a bit of debt with Mr. Burns. To help her out with her To buy crack so that he could exchange it for favors from his girlfriend prostitute. Oh, my God. So he was in debt with this crackhead. And so when when Marjorie comes to Mr. Burns, the, the crack dealer, and says, hey, I need help with this, he says, I got the perfect guy, you know, and they come up with this plan. Now, this other guy, Bill Rothstein, was her old boyfriend, right? Right, I remember him. So... Come to find out, he helps her build this bomb. Okay. Okay, and she kind of had him on something. Um, later on, he calls the cops to spill his guts that he actually had a body in his freezer. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> and the body <laughs> was actually a boyfriend that she had that that she had brought to him a couple weeks before for him to help dispose of. Oh, my gosh. The boyfriend <laughs> had got, had caught wind of the heist and was going to rat her out so she shot him in the back with a 12 gauge holy cow dude goes to Rothstein says hey hide (laughs) this body for me and then we're going to do this heist together and he builds a bomb and there's actually apparently another guy who was staying with uh, 
with Rothstein, who was trying to uh, flee from rape charges, and he helps with the cane gun and the bomb as well. That guy it's never great. got charged for anything. The roommate? Yeah, so Rothstein. anyway... Here's the sad thing about this whole thing, though, man. Brian Wells gets sucked into this through his bad decisions. The pizza right? guy. So what had actually happened is he was in on the plan, and he was going to do it. But when he got there, he realized that it was actually a real bomb. And so he's out. You know, I'm out. That's a real bomb. He, he realized they double-crossed him, but they forced him to put it on. And so he was in on it originally, but then he tried to get out of it, and then he couldn't get out of it. Man, Here's the tragedy of the whole thing. While this is on the news, this whole thing's going down. You can actually watch YouTube videos of it now. And I'm not. I hear there's graphic videos out there. I'm not, I haven't really tried to find them. Yeah, I I've watched. I've watched the videos where it's kind of cut away. I've seen like where you hear the boom. But anyway, three about three and a half minutes before the bomb squad got there, the bomb went off. Oh my gosh! Blew man. a huge hole in his chest. He was dead in seconds. Good grief, man. So, anyway, Rothstein, um, he come forward a little bit later saying that they actually had went to Rothstein's house because that's where the pizza was delivered to so that they could trap, you know, Brian Wells. You know, so they, they had him go there and they were going to trap him. And then he realized that it was actually a real bomb. He tried to get out of it. So, anyway, right. they had followed that trail there. So, they had knew that he that something was going on in that area. And they had kind of questioned him and stuff, but didn't they? You know, it, the case went cold for like three months. Well, anyway, about three months later, he come forward and he said, "Guys, I got a dead body in my freezer. Oh my gosh, I'm afraid dude. of what this woman's going to do to me." And here's the deal. Well, anyway, he died like a year later, and they never really got the full story out of him. So he probably knows a lot of the holes in the stories, but right. never got it out of him. But anyway, the probably the most information came from that Kenny Burns because he was already in jail for something when this happened. Or when she uh, was, when finally she was going to get charged for this. Right. And um, when they found out he was in on it too, they were going to give him um, an extended sentence. And in order to shorten his sentence, he spilled his guts about the whole thing. Oh, wow. So anyway, so now she she actually died in prison too from, um, I believe from cancer. Yeah, she had about seven years after she went to prison. They had given her a seven-year prognosis, and it was like right at seven years she died in prison from cancer. Um, so, you know, Bill died, Brian died with the bomb, apparently, and uh, Marjorie died of cancer. I guess Kenny Burns is probably still living out his days in prison. I didn't really All look right. that part up, but anyway. Well, that's wild, dude. That is a wild story, ain't it? That is a crazy story. Yeah, so I didn't want to pick your you know, regular run-of-the-mill heist. I wanted something a little weird there. You know, so. <laughs> well, Keith, you definitely fulfilled your desire on that <laughs> because you that is different. Interesting, ain't it? It is interesting, man. All right, man. And we're going to uh, You got any change. questions for me? I don't think so, man. That's pretty clear. I, I have Good, I was I told everything I know. So. Okay. <laughs> Well, all right, on that note, all right. let's go to heist number two, Keith. This particular heist okay. is sometimes known as the Baker Street heist or the walkie-talkie bank job. All right, so we're going to get into the facts just real walkie quick. Walkie-talkie bank job. The walkie-talkie bank <laughs> Was job. Was it kindergartners that did it? No. <laughs> I, hey, no, just regular everyday hoods. I got you. So let's take it back before we get into, uh, some people might have heard of this one. We won't say how, just right off the bat. Okay. We're going to hit some of the details. I'm going to give you the quick overview, then we'll kind of dive down a little bit. So on Saturday, September 11th, a gang of thieves tunneled about 40 feet 
from beneath a nearby handbag store, a leather shop, under Lloyd's Bank on Baker Street in London. It's like something you see in the movies. Exactly. So they cut through the reinforced concrete floor with a thermic lance, man. And they got away after busting into about 260, what do you call it, safe deposit boxes. It's, they say around 500,000 pounds, probably worth five to eight million pounds worth of loot today. Okay, so like, what is that dollar amount? Do you know? Oh, yeah, you're looking at, well, Several seven, hundred million. about eight million. Eight million, okay. Eight million, something like that. So, But at the time, it was the biggest heist in Britain, right? 1971. Yeah. Right. All right, so the robbers communicated. Some of these things are going to come back in the story. The robbers communicated uh, with a lookout via walkie-talkie. And the signal got picked up by an amateur radio guy named Robert Rowlands, who was trying to reach some friends in Australia. So they've been planning this thing, working it out. This guy gets on there, right? Never goes as planned, does it? Never goes as planned, Keith. So the police initially believed it was a hoax, like this guy's full of it. Finally, they they tuned in. He was recording this thing, right? They told him to record it. But they couldn't identify, once they decided, okay, maybe this is true, they couldn't identify which bank was being robbed. Right? So a check of 700 banks failed. The gang made their escape on Sunday, according to the Mirror in the UK. But the security chief said that... Security chiefs? Is that, is that <laughs> That's me? Like, like as a security guard? Secu- <laughs> security chief. The security chiefs <laughs> okay, of the bank said that uh, their alarms and everything were working correctly. They couldn't figure it out, man. So, anyway... Scrawled inside the safe when they scrawled. Scrawled. That's the word for a day. Scrawled. Scrawled. That's a good one. So scrawled inside the safe were the words, let Sherlock Holmes try to solve this. Oh, they're taunting them, huh? All right, so let's let's dig a little more in depth, Keith. So they had rented, these robbers had rented a leather goods shop, LaSac, two doors down from the bank. They had to tunnel a distance of about 50 feet under a Chicken Inn restaurant. To avoid being overheard, they tried to pull this off on the weekends, right? Okay. So they use walkie-talkies to communicate. Did you ever have walkie-talkies? Yeah, I did. Oh, man. So I you're talking about like the rubber. actual like, um, Mattel walkie-talkies? Well, they probably had some good ones. Like when I was a kid ones. in 78, I had some Motorola walkie-talkies yeah. that were pretty nice. But, you know, they're still not super fancy, not compared to, you know, technology right. today. Two-way radios. But, so note, Roland's this guy, he accidentally tuned into the transmissions, right? And he called the cops, and they were slow to believe his claim, right? But eventually he persuaded them that there was something going on, so they set out on this frantic search to find out where this heist could be going down. So they're looking for them real time while the heist is going down. That's like a ham radio operator's dream, right, to come across something like that? Exactly, man. So he's right in on the middle of this thing, right? Rollins had informed the police that the range of the transmission, now here's where... Keep some of these facts in mind as we start to get into some of the conspiracy theories, because okay. where yours has some very clear ideas of what happened, yeah, this one is a little more open-ended, which allows you to do stuff like write screenplays about it and such. Oh, so, okay. what he told them, though, was that because he was able to pick it up so clearly that the transmissions meant that the robber must be nearby, within about a mile of his street flat. For whatever reason... They decided to spread the net out to a 10-mile radius. They should have listened to him. Should have listened to him, man. They made it so, so much harder. Exactly. With limited resources, right, they had to ask the permission of each bank to search it, so they failed to stop them in time. 
So all this goes down. This guy gets it recorded. It's all over the news, man, for exactly four days, right? Front page is September 71. The moles of Baker Street, sewer rats. Then suddenly... Baker Street? Baker Street. <laughs> you know, you know that's near uh, the other street down there. <laughs> Around Christmas. <laughs> Around Christmas time. So the last reports on this story ran on September 16th. Four days, it's all over the headlines, then it goes quiet. The government prompted, or the government issued something called a D-notice. Ah, like a cease and desist kind of thing. That forbids the press from reporting on certain events. So ordinarily, such an extreme measure, right, would only happen if it was threatened. can't do that. Exactly. Only if the story threatened national security. Oh, I got you. We have that too. So why was it slapped on this particular story? I don't know. Like, what else did they find in the security boxes? Oh, so that's the or conspiracy. So that's what we get going. So we know that they they found gems. We yeah. know that they found lots of expensive how they, jewelry. How did they fit a guy named Jim in there? We're going to get to that part. Well, those big safety boxes. Well, he was a small guy. Okay, I guess. So anyway. And there's several of them. But what's interesting, though, when they look back at it, right, mm-hmm. these were just everyday guys. I mean, this is a pretty elaborate hoax, in some, or hoax, heist, that is. In some ways, it was very well-planned, very intricate. Later on, people think there had to be some big mastermind behind this because these were just small-town, everyday crooks. Yeah. Small-time, rather, because London's a pretty big town, right? Yeah. So ultimately, several of these guys were tracked down. Three or four of them were sentenced to like 12 years, but they never talked, totally discreet, Nobody ever spilled their guts. Nobody ever told the story, any of the guys that got busted. None of them were ever short of money after they got out of prison. Yeah. And nothing was ever recovered. Wow. So, here's the question. So, whatever they did with the loot, did they recover the loot once they got out? Or is there a conspiracy, Keith? Did they get paid off? Oh, paid For this off. whole deal. Yeah. And that's where it gets a little more interesting. So let's take all that, man. Okay. So there, here's some screenwriters named Clement and Lafrenois or Frenet or something, one of those French words like Benoit, yeah. Benoit, whatever it is. So right, the probably the most famous uh, screenplay they had written that I was aware of was The Commitments. Oh, okay. I think it was an Irish film, or it was a film about this Irish R&B band. Oh, okay. So there you go. There's some Ireland up in here. Some again. more Ireland ties. Exactly. So they write a screenplay. They're very interested in this. Well, interestingly enough, there's a guy named George McIndoe. Okay. He is their deep throat, what you would call it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember all the president's men? The whole thing with the, uh, uh, what's his name, Nixon? Yeah. And the Watergate stuff? That was the source for the Watergate stuff. Right? Oh, okay. Deep throat. So. This is their guy. He's like, hey, guess what? I got inside information. I've talked to two of these guys. So basically, he gets listed as a producer, and he tells this story, which is pretty interesting, but not necessarily corroborated all the way, but it makes for a great movie. So we'll just stop right there and say, have you seen the movie that I'm talking about? Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Is it The Italian Job? Nope. (laughs) Well, that's a good guess, but it's actually called The Bank Job. Okay. And it's got Jason Statham in it. I think I have seen that. Where he's got like the car thing. It's pretty good, man. Yeah, I have seen that. That's a good movie. So this guy, McIndoe. I need to see it again, though. 
he has some pretty lofty claims. So think about stuff like the D notice that was thrown up there. And here we go, right? He says, I talked to two of the robbers. He expresses that they were indirectly sponsored by MI5, the British intelligence service, which was after sexually incriminating photos of Prince Margaret. Oh, and they so were those, being those may have been in there, and they were being held in a safe deposit box by the revolutionary Michael X. Ah, oh. so let's unpack that a little bit. Now wait a minute. Hang on. Go ahead. Wait what? a second. Okay. Not Malcolm X. No, that's all I'm saying. But I'm Michael. just saying, like, like is it possible that? the whole job was to get those. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's Is what that one of the they're theories? suggesting. That's okay. one of the theories, and that's what the movie kind of goes on, right? So okay, yeah, Michael I need to go X guy, watch that again. Yeah. And it argues that Gail Ann Benson, the daughter of a conservative member of parliament, his body was found in a shallow grave in that Michael X's Trinidadian compound, and that she was, in fact, an MI, she was an MI5 spy trying to get the goods on Michael. So let's unpack that. So Prince Margaret, do you know Prince Margaret? Uh, yeah, she used to be a good friend of mine. Exactly. So she's Queen Elizabeth's sister. Okay. Third in line to the throne. The way it kind of talks about her, she's kind of a tragic figure. You know, she's not going to be the queen. She really doesn't have, her dad's passed away. She doesn't have much to live for. So she kind of turns into this 60s party girl. Oh, okay. And she was known to have some wild goings on and parties at her Caribbean compound herself. Um. She even had some affiliations with some small-time uh, or maybe even big-time gangsters, gangsters from the London area, right? So there's talks of her doing nude photos of other people there um. on her island where she was at. So this idea that there could have been incriminating photos of her... It's not that far-fetched. It's not far-fetched because this one guy mentions John... Uh, What's his name? John Finden, Binden, something like that. He was a, a local kind of bodyguard, hood, criminal. And there was a picture of her and him, and that would have been a huge scandal. Like, the press didn't report that back in the day. It was years, so that came out. Oh, wow. So if, like, really incriminating, sexually oriented photos would have came out, it would have been a huge embarrassment to the Crown and all this. So some people think maybe that was an idea. So this Michael X guy, though... He's kind of a self-described drug dealer and pimp, and is trying to make himself out to be kind of like a Malcolm X over in England. Yeah, even with and, the name, apparently. Yeah, obviously so. <clears throat> so, this idea that there's illicit encounters implicating highly influential figures in the government is kind of the direction the movie takes. Oh, so, like, Michael you. X has these pictures in the movie. So, they ran with that theory. They ran with it. Yeah. So, Michael X, and all this comes from their guy, Michael, or George McIndoo. So, he's the one that says, I talked to the guys, and this is what they said. There's other stuff that's a little even more incriminating. We won't get into that, but other photos of high members of parliament doing other very illegal, immoral things. That Those kind of photos may have been in there as well. And so they were wanting them to break in to get rid of these incriminating photos. Yeah. So so in the film, right, these photographs we already said are placed in the um, possession of the shady guy Michael X that we talked about. And kind of his thing with it was that this was going to be his get-out-of-jail-free card. No matter what happened, right, he was going to get out of jail free. So evidence is pretty scant and totally unsure. But one curious piece of circles, evidence is scant, right, and totally unsure. 
but a curious piece of circumstantial evidence does exist, however. Michael X's MI5 file is locked up until 2054, 83 years after the robbery and 79 years after his death. The secrecy over the file of an obscure London gangster, Keith, seems kind of unwarranted. So, none of this is sure stuff. Maybe it was just some regular old everyday guys with at least one or two smart guys just wanting to steal a whole bunch of loot, jewels, diamonds. Right. Or maybe it implicated some of the highest levels of the British government or yeah. royalty. I mean, I prefer the more sexy explanation, don't you? Yeah, that makes for a better podcast for sure. And obviously makes <laughs> for a better movie. So, But, yes. you know, Keith, I've got a question as we finish this up. All right. Um, what is it about high stories that we like? I mean, these are not like, you know moral tales that we want to live our lives by obviously but what is it that is attractive about these tales what is it i mean just i mean who isn't who doesn't enjoy a good thrilling suspenseful heist movie or something or story i know right i mean we shouldn't like them i don't guess it's and literally it's robbery right I yeah mean, and well, I, we don't I want hate to glorify robbery. any of that yeah. you know but there's something I don't know what it is. I don't have any deep yeah. philosophical, psychological insight into it. But this is probably bad. But like, I feel worse about like when individuals get stolen from than big corporations, banks, stuff like that. Because I know they have insurance money, right? You know? They do, and you but know, they don't make it okay, though. No, you know? it doesn't make the robbery part itself okay. But I'm, you know, I'm with you on that. You just we, feel sorrier for like individuals who lose their crap because some turd stole their crap from them. Exactly. You know? you know, and well, one of the guys I started to talk about, but we didn't do tonight, was John Dillinger, right? Public Enemy Number One. Okay, well, and he was. As an honorable mention. And we'll do him as an honorable mention. So he was kind of a folk hero. I mean, he was a vicious gangster man. Yeah. But the banks he was robbing were the banks that people blamed for the Great Depression. Right. So exactly. a lot of people were like, hey, good for them. We're yeah. broke. He's not stealing from us. And they're the one who's taking down our economic system, basically. Yeah. So go for it, brother. And isn't he the one who escaped from prison with like a gun made out of soap or something like that? Oh, he may have. He escaped from jail yeah. once or twice for sure. Yeah, I think he like carved a fake gun out of soap and like they thought he had a gun and so he just like walked out of prison because they thought he had a gun hey speaking of a totally Um, off base there's a um, really heavy band called the Dillinger Escape Plan oh okay so I wonder if they have a soap gun that they probably alright so my uh, honorable mention would be uh, Dan Cooper D.B. Cooper oh yeah I just think you got to mention that. There's so many podcasts and uh, you know articles and stuff been wrote about that, so most people know about it. So look it up if you don't. Right. Um, but I mean, he just did it in style. About 1.2 million dollars in today's money. It was 200 thousand back then, like 1971. Right. That's still money. But right he there, hijacked boy. a plane, got ransom money, 200 thousand dollars. So they landed it. They got the money together. They gave him the money. They take back off, and he daggum parachutes out with the 200 thousand dollars, never seen again. Between Portland and Seattle, man. Yeah. That's Don't. just um, that's just rock star kind of that's crazy stealing, man. you know what I mean anyway that's crazy um, so right, if Keith. you want more information about the one I did which is called the collar bomb heist um, there's actually a Netflix special four episode special on it called really? uh, Evil Genius or it may be Evil Geniuses but it's Evil Genius oh I didn't know that I'm gonna have to check that out yeah I, I haven't seen it either I kind of wish I'd started studying a little earlier for this so I could have watched it before this but I just noticed it today so oh, well, I'm cool. gonna go watch it myself now so well that's it maybe you should go watch The Bank Job you can see Jason I'm Statham watch that, yeah and, even if uh, I've seen it again it's fictional but hey, it's based on it before, a true story I will see it again yeah okay alright so uh, Keith the folks can get a hold of us at doyouflumadiddle at gmail.com Facebook doyouflumadiddle what else? dflumadiddle.com is the website. 
And we just want to welcome all the new listeners to our Flumadiddle family. Listen back next week. Exactly. And go to Apple Podcasts this week. And subscribe. And give us a five-star rating yeah. and subscribe. So that or you Google Podcasts yeah, or wherever, wherever you get, you get your podcasts, podcasts, Spotify. Just, you hit that subscribe button, it'll let you know You know when we get new ones out. So. Absolutely. Or sometimes it's follow, right? Follow, subscribe. Yeah, do it. Whatever. Right. Follow us, subscribe to us, all the above. All right. We love you, Flumadiddlers. Grace and peace. Peace out. Hey, Flumadiddlers, this is Keith. Hey, listen, after we recorded that episode, I listened back, and there's a couple of things that I just want to add to it. Um, the first thing is I feel like I was a little insensitive to uh, mental illness, people who have mental illness, and I just want you to know that um, I do not take mental illness lightly. Um, it is very sad. A lot of these mental illnesses that people have, um, people who have bipolar can lead healthy and productive lives. This lady was not crazy just because she had bipolar. She was also had she just had so many different issues and she was just evil at heart. So, um, I just want to let you know, we don't take that lightly. You know, I've known people with that and, um, it's, it's very sad. And, um, just want you to know that if you do have mil- mental illness, we, uh, love you and we're praying for you. And also, um, we took a particular narrative when we told this story where Brian Wells was completely complicit. And what made him complicit was the day before he was spotted by eyewitness pulling out of a meeting that they had about the heist. But there is another uh, narrative that actually makes him completely innocent in the whole thing and just a total victim. The prostitute that he frequented actually said that she that he was with her um, the entire day the day before so that it wasn't possible for him to be at that meeting. So it is possible that he was completely innocent in the whole thing. Either way, he was a victim in this, and it is a very tragic thing. And... Um, Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the episode, and keep on flummadiddling. Peace out.